So when the musical Hamilton came out on Disney+, Plus, I just had to see what all the craze was about. So one night, Laura and I and our host daughter Navia, we, we queued up the musical, we made some popcorn, and we watched it all in one sitting uh, one evening. And uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. There's some really catchy music in that musical. And one of the songs is about how different people from that time period in American history uh, are remembered. Uh, and it, the song reflects on how maybe we all will be remembered someday. And the song lyric goes, You have no control. Who lives? Who dies? Who tells your story? How will we be remembered for our lives? That's a question we all face at one point or another. It's a profoundly human question. And we have no control. Who tells our story? If anyone does in fact tell our story, and we have no control over how other people will remember us. And today, as we are concluding our sermon series from Ruins to Restoration, Nehemiah is reflecting on how he will be remembered. How will we remember Nehemiah? And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it, it kind of ends on this very anticlimactic note. I mean, doesn't it feel like the story should have ended last week uh, in our sermon uh, uh, from last Sunday? You know, they finally finished all the rebuilding projects. They finished everything. Everything is restored. Then they have this huge celebration where they dedicate the wall, and there's choirs going around the top. It's a hu this huge parade. It's this wonderful celebration. I mean, that would have been the happy ending that we longed for. But that is not where the story ends. See, sometime after that dedication of the wall, Nehemiah returns to Persia. Remember that he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia, who had given him permission to go work on this project in Jerusalem. And now that the project is over, he goes back to Persia. And we don't know how, we don't know how long Nehemiah was gone, but it was long enough that things started to get out of hand. Things started falling apart. And at some point, Nehemiah requests from the king another leave of absence to return to Jerusalem and to find that everything is in disorder. I mean, can you imagine all the things that you worked so hard for falling apart right before your eyes? And if everything that Nehemiah has worked for is in danger of total collapse, what significance does that give his life? How will his story be told? How will he be remembered? And when Nehemiah discovers that things are decaying from their previously restored state, he continues to work for restoration. But as always with Nehemiah, he turns to God in prayer. And three times in our passage for this morning, Nehemiah prays for God to remember him. And really, that's the only thing that we should be concerned with. How will God remember your story? How will God remember your life? And Nehemiah, he desperately wants God to remember him and his life with favor. So he prays. And I invite you to follow along with me with your Bibles at home or your smartphone or your, your web browser. Go to Nehemiah 13. And we're going to be looking at three uh, prayers in this passage that Nehemiah has. And the first one that Nehemiah has that we can learn from is, is this. Number one, remember me and what I have faithfully done. Remember me and what I have faithfully done. So after some time in Persia, Nehemiah returns to find things in Jerusalem in total disorder. And he discovers that Eliashib, one of the priests, 
had, allow, had allowed Nehemiah's old enemy, Tobiah the Ammonite, to move into one of the storage rooms of the temple. Which In the storage room, this was supposed to hold the offerings and the equipment for the sacrifices and the worship of the temple. And this is wrong on so many levels. Uh, it's an abuse of power by both Eliashib and Tobiah. Eliashib, as a priest, allows somebody who's not supposed to be there to come into the temple, and Tobiah uses his political authority to enrich himself with something he shouldn't have. So this is wrong, but not only that, it's a desecration of the temple, and it's taking up space that should be for the people's offering and the priest's equipment. And Nehemiah, as you know, is never one to back down from an opponent. So he kicks Tobiah and his stuff out of there, and then he rebukes the leaders for neglecting the house of God, the very thing that they had made a covenant to do, or not to do, back in chapter 10. And then Nehemiah, he, he restates the offerings for the temple, and then he puts new leaders in place who were considered to be trustworthy. And what Nehemiah is doing here should remind us of what Jesus Christ did about 500 years later. He cleans, when he discovers that there is misuse and abuse in the temple, Jesus clears everything out. He says, no, my house shall be a house of prayer. And Nehemiah, in the same way, is clearing everything out of the temple that is being abused and misused in order to restore its purpose. And I can imagine that after the 12 years of hard work that Nehemiah had put in, and coming back after some time, finding that everything is out of sorts, that had to be extremely discouraging. And I wonder if out of exasperation, he prays to God in verse 14. He says, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of God, the house of my God and its services. Oh God, don't blot out what I've done. See, there's actually, there's a theme in the Bible that doesn't get a whole lot of attention and it's the idea that God is recording our lives and our deeds. Now, most scholars think that the prophet Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah, and Malachi refers to the same type of idea. And Malachi 3.16 says that at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. See, at that time, there apparently was a group of people who really feared God. They feared God above all else. They revered him above all else. And God took notice. And kings in the ancient world, they often had record books, and they had officials who would record important events or decisions. And often these would be referred to, maybe you could reward somebody for something that, that had happened. And and this is what God has. God has. God the King has a book of remembrance. Now, of course, God doesn't literally need to be reminded of what we have done. He knows everything that we have done. But our, the, our deeds are recorded in his book for our benefit. It's kind of like God has a file with your name on it and is recording all the good things that you have done. And God wants to do that so that he will honor you because God will honor those who honor him. He will reward us according to what we have done with our lives. And so Nehemiah prays. He prays that what he has done will be remembered with favor by God. Because even if his restoration of Jerusalem only lasts for a season, 
Even if it all falls apart, even if it's not remembered by anybody else, Nehemiah prays, oh God, remember me and what I have faithfully done for you and your kingdom. And because in the end, we all want our lives to have mattered. We all want our lives to have had significance. I mean, even secular people want to leave a legacy. But we have to be careful about that for those in the church. Because a desire to lead an earthly legacy can actually lead you to a lot of disappointment. Because the things that we do on this earth cannot last. And when our, when our identity is rooted in the success of some earthly project, or a career, or a business, or a house, or our physical health, ultimately we're going to be disappointed. And we also have to be careful about this idea of legacy because uh, this legacy can easily become idolatry. Leaving a legacy can be about uh, another, this other way of saying that I want to gain the praise of men. Leaving a legacy can be about wanting the praise and glory and honor from people and not from God. And we know that we're becoming spiritually mature when the only one that we're seeking to please with our lives is our Lord and our Savior. And a sign that we're moving in the right direction is that we are aiming with our lives to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you know what Jesus or God says after that in that story? He says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, God is keeping track of your faithfulness. He's keeping track of how you are being faithful with the responsibilities he has given you. And it's being written down in a book of remembrance. And this is good news for us if we are indeed faithfully fearing God, serving God, serving others. And it's good news because it's good news that God rewards this behavior. In Hebrews 6.10 it says this, and I'll go to the screen. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. God is not unjust. Your deeds are, 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 are matter to God greatly. He will not forget. No, he will remember them and reward them. So how do you want God to remember your story? Nehemiah prays, remember me and what I have faithfully done. The second thing that Nehemiah prays is remember me and show me mercy. Remember me and show me mercy. So after clearing out the temple, Nehemiah's next ta task is to restore the Sabbath. And people had been buying and selling and working on the Sabbath. And so Nehemiah, he rebukes the leaders for allowing this to happen under their watch. And then he orders the gates of Jerusalem shut. By the way, those are the gates that he put in when they were working on the wall. And then he puts guards by the gates, uh, and he drives all the merchants away. And at the conclusion of that reformation, Nehemiah prays again in verse 22. It says, Remember me for this also, my God, and show me mercy according to your great love. You know, this is very similar to what Nehemiah previously prayed. In fact, all three prayers are essentially the same. However, there is, one, there is a significant difference. In prayer, in prayer number one, Nehemiah prays that his deeds would not be blotted out, but that he would be remembered by God for what he has done. 
And Nehemiah, he also wants God to remember him for honoring the Sabbath as well. But this time he adds the prayer, show me mercy according to your great love. See, even with all the good that Nehemiah had done, all his acclaimed leadership, all of his leadership skills, his zeal for holiness, his service to God and his people, all the good deeds that he had done, even after living such a great life, such a great legacy, Nehemiah still needs the mercy of God according to his great love. And the same, of course, is true for, for us. No amount of good deeds can save us. Of course, God remembers them. God rewards them. God honors us for them. But they are not salvation. You see, most religions and even secular people, they believe that we need to do enough good uh, to get to, to be a good enough person to get to some type of afterlife on the other side. But Christianity is different. Doing good deeds and being nice, that's not enough to make us right with, our, with God, with our Creator. You know, our church just uh, has been reading the Bible together, and we recently just finished uh, reading the book of Ephesians. And I, I, I've told you before, I've been trying to be like Martin Luther and, and examine each branch and examine each limb and, and, and just figure out what's going on. And, and I was struck by one of the lines in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll, I'll read it to you from the screen. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I have to be honest with you, I paused at that line. We were by nature deserving of wrath. I paused there and I, and I asked myself, do I consider myself without Christ? deserving of wrath. Now, wrath means the judgment of God upon evil and sin. Do I deserve that? Do you deserve that? Do we deserve that? If we are to be true to the witness of God's word, we have to conclude, yes, that is what we deserve because we have rebelled against our maker, our creator, and our savior time and time again. And without Christ, we deserve judgment for the sins that we have committed. Without Christ, all we can expect is judgment and punishment for our sins. But thanks be to God. Ephesians 2 does not end in verse 3. It continues with verse 4 and 5. It says, But, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. He's so rich in mercy. His mercy doesn't run out for us. It's so good. God has great love. And he has great mercy. As we sang in the gathering, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. His mercy is rich. You know, our creator doesn't say, just do enough good deeds, and then I will love you and I will forgive you. Our maker says, no, I love you, and you are incapable of saving yourself. Therefore, I will die for you, and I will extend rich mercy to you. We can never save ourselves, and we don't deserve to be saved because of our sins. 
We don't deserve the great gift of Jesus Christ and his grace. But thanks be to God, he is rich, 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 rich in mercy towards you. So merciful he gave his life so that you would be with him forever. So in prayer number one, we pray for significance. We want to live lives of good deeds that will be remembered and rewarded by God. But the second that we pray, oh God, remember my deeds, remember what I've done, you're going to want to add, and oh God, show me your mercy. Because when we think about our deeds, yes, what we've done, but what we left undone, we know we will need the Lord's mercy. We need his salvation. And we need both of these prayers. We need, on the one hand, significance in our lives, that what we do matters, but also we need salvation from our sins. And this is what Nehemiah prays for. And finally, his, la his last prayer, number three, is remember me with favor. Remember me with favor. After Nehemiah restores the temple, then, then he restores the Sabbath, and then he takes on another restoration project. He discovers that some people have married uh, non-Israelites who worship other gods, a problem that Ezra, if you remember, had tried to fix. It's happening again. So Nehemiah tries to fix that. Then he purifies the priesthood, and then he restores the wood that's to be uh, burned at the altar. And then Nehemiah, he finally prays, and this is, the, this is the whole conclusion to the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah prays in verse 31, Remember me with favor, my God. Remember me with favor. Other translations say, remember me for good. Remember the good things I have done. Show me mercy for my sins and for the good things that I did not do. But ultimately, O oh God, remember me with favor. Remember me for good. This prayer that Nehemiah prays, it reminds me of a prayer of another man in the New Testament. The prayer of the thief upon the cross who, as he's being crucified next to Jesus, he turns to Jesus, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at the man, and he says, truly, you will be with me in paradise today. You see, this man on the cross, he had done nothing good. In fact, he had done evil and admitted that he deserved to be there. But in sincere faith, he turns to Jesus, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, remember me with favor. When you are the king upon the throne, when you are the judge of all the earth, of the living and the dead, O oh Lord Jesus, remember me with favor. And ultimately, that is how we are saved. That is how we are born again. It is a simple, sincere, genuine turn to Jesus. O oh Lord Jesus, remember me with favor. Most of you who are part of our church or are listening to this, Likely you have already trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And my encouragement to you this morning is remember. Remember the goodness and the sheer grace of your salvation today. It's all by grace. And if you haven't turned to Jesus as your Lord, why delay? He is ready with open arms. He is rich in mercy towards you for anything that you might have ever done. And if you would just turn today in your heart and pray to him, Oh Lord, remember me with favor. Come into my life. You will find salvation in Jesus Christ. So Nehemiah prays, remember me in what I, what I have faithfully done. Remember me and show mercy. Remember me with favor. So friends, I want to ask you this morning, 
how will God remember your story? How will your story be written down in his book? What do you, what do you want it to say? What would you like it to say? You see, God is pleased with our faithfulness to his commands when we walk in his ways, when we walk in obedience, when we walk in good deeds done in his name. And my encouragement to you is to attend to your life story daily. Your story is being written one day at a time. So make each day count. Uh, General William Booth, who is founder of the Christian organization Salvation Army, he once said to a group of new officers, he says, I want you young men always to bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. Friends, your life in Jesus Christ, your salvation, it's secure because of him. But our discipleship, our story in Jesus, it's like a fire. And it's a constant daily endeavor to tend to it, to feed it, to keep the ashes away, to to stoke it with more wood, to put a little bit more wood on the fire. And so we cannot let laxity grow. And we can't let laxity grow in our church like the people did in Nehemiah's day. We need people who are like Nehemiah to say, no, we all need to obey the word of God and to pursue holiness, to keep attending to this fire. And when we do this, we will be prepared to meet Jesus when it's all said and done. You see, when Nehemiah left Jerusalem for some time, uh, he came back and the, and the people were totally in disarray, right? And Nehemiah seems to not have announced uh, when he was returning And the people, they let all of those restoration projects slip. And this reminds me of the return of Jesus. He ascended from earth to heaven, and he hasn't announced when he will return, but he has told us that he will. And we have to ask, will we be ready for his return? Or will he find us lax like Nehemiah found the people? Will he find us stoking the fire, sharing a passion for his name, faithfully serving Or will he find us lazy and disobedient? Dear friends, let's be found ready. Let's be found waiting, watching, and praying. And may we we be found faithful. And as you are faithful each day, over time, your story is being written down in God's book. So let's give thanks to God today that he will remember and reward our good. And in his mercy, He will forgive our sins, and by His grace in Jesus our Savior, He will remember us with favor in His everlasting kingdom.